Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn. These conversations focus on the intersection of technology, business, and humanity, exploring how these three areas impact each other. Dr. Wynn interviews guests, including business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts in various fields to share insights and experiences on cybersecurity, risk management, and leadership. The podcast aims to provide a fresh perspective on how technology can be leveraged to create positive change in the world. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us today, Teresa Payton. Teresa is one of the nation's most respected authorities on cybersecurity. A visionary U.S. patent holder in security design, she made history as the first ever female White House Chief Information Officer. Today, she is president and CEO of Fortalice Solutions. Her many awards include the 2019 Woman Cybersecurity Leader of the Year and Cybersecurity Crusader of the Year by CISO Magazine. Business Insider named her one of the top 50 cybersecurity leaders, and in 2021, she was named one of the top 50 women in tech by Award Magazine. Cybersecurity experts named her one of the top 100 most influential people in cybersecurity. She is the author of multiple industry-leading books on IT strategy and cybersecurity, including Privacy in the Age of Big Data, Recognizing Threats, Defending Your Rights, and Protecting Your Family. In her book, Manipulated, Inside the Cyber War to Hijack Elections and Distort the Truth, The Guardian included on the 2022 list of the top 10 books about cybercrime. She frequently appears in the media and starred in the crime series Hunted. Teresa, my friend, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, Rebecca, I've been looking forward to this. This is like the, the highlight of my week to spend this time with you. So thanks for inviting me. My great, Teresa. You know, I was thinking about when all of a sudden you get offered the CIO position, the first woman CIO position in the White House. How did you even process that as a leader? How did you even go about processing any of that stuff and then feel confidence in yourself that you could do that role? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's funny, I remember, so my parents are both my heroes. They're the epitome of servant-style leadership in family, community, in their faith, and at work. And my mom was a Marine Corps brat. My dad was an Air Force and Army brat. My dad's career Marine and then career law enforcement. And they just were incredible examples. And I still remember I came home from work one day and my parents called me on the phone to see how I was doing. And I was really frustrated. And I said, I am so sick and tired of being underestimated. I was in a meeting. I'm the youngest one there. And I had all these ideas. I kept trying to share. People talked over me. I was the only woman in the room. And some people even said my ideas that I said 30 minutes earlier and I said, I'm just, I'm just frustrated today. And my dad said to me, and this has stuck with me my whole career. He said, your greatest gift is being underestimated because you can operate in stealth mode and nobody will ever see you coming. So just remember when you're underestimated, turn that into positive energy and just go for it. And so that has stuck with me. And funny you should ask about the White House because it's a phone call I almost didn't return. 
I thought I was being socially engineered. I didn't know anybody at the White House. I'd just come back from maternity leave with my second kid. And I'm so glad I took that phone call. But I remember in the interview process, Rebecca saying, how am I qualified for this job? And it is a unique interview process because most of the questions you would normally ask, I didn't have a clearance to receive the answer. So when I would ask things about budget or FTE or the top three initiatives, I didn't have a clearance to be given the answer. So it's the unusual interview process. So I finally just said, how am I even qualified for this job? And what was really fascinating was I had just a phenomenal leader in the Office of Administration Director, John Straub. He's an incredible leader, very humble. And he said, Teresa, you have responsibility for global operations at the bank, highly regulated. You're in a fishbowl. Everybody's, the systems that you run are all in the spotlight and you figure out how to make it all work. You know how to fight fraudsters and cyber criminals. He goes, believe me, the things you don't know, we can teach you, but there's a lot that we don't know. And so that gave me that comfort level. I'm also a faith-based person. So I spent a lot of time asking people to pray for me for discernment and, and just really felt like I was being called and led. And this was my way to serve. My husband had been in the military. I did not serve in the military. I was a military spouse. And so I felt like if our men and women were having to go to Afghanistan, which they were at the time, I thought I could certainly hop on a plane or hop in the car and go serve my country. Well, that's amazing. You're in rooms with the biggest and the brightest and the best. There must have been like some really cool leadership principles you learned or how to even handle stress. What kind of things could you pass on to us along those lines about handling key situations like that we face day to day as CISOs and CIOs? No, it's great. And what's interesting, there are some enduring principles that I learned during my time in banking and certainly learned during my time at the White House, which is truly this global 24 by 7 operation. And those actually apply to each and every one of us. You have to pace yourself. You know, the work is never going to stop. And don't allow the pace to run you. You have to find ways to put up those guardrails and to say, yes, this is a priority, but everything can't be the number one priority. And you spend time for stack ranking of priorities. The other thing I would say is a lot of times I hear people say, I'm trying to get a day off or I'm looking forward to a long weekend so I can finally renew and recharge. Build five to 10 minutes into each workday and look for that opportunity to recharge, you might not get that full day off, I'm sad to say, but if you can find that time to recharge, and I'll tell you what recharging doesn't include. It does not include doom scrolling on social media or different news websites, right? So if you're taking five minutes, go for a walk, just look outside. You know, I always try to have flowers from the farmer's market in my office, find that bright spot and plan it into every day so that you have that moment to renew and recharge. I also, Rebecca, you and I talked about this before. I've got the system of the five Fs, which I developed as I was heading into the White House. I had some really good mentors say to me, you're going to burn yourself out if you don't pace yourself and you need a system. I'm very creative, but I like to have creativity be within like a process framework. 
So I created a color-coded system that works for me and everybody needs to find their own, but it's called my five F's. And I book time on my calendar based on my five F's. So my five F's are family, friends, faith and fellowship in the community. And then the last piece is what am I fighting for every day at work? Because we spend so much time at work. And then I color code those five F's. And as I look at my calendar at the end of the month, some months it's a little lopsided. And I make a commitment to myself to actually change my allocation for the next 30 days. Everybody has to find the right system that works for them. But that's something that has really served me well over the years. You should see where leadership and companies not exactly sure where to even put systems right now. They're just really in flux. Do you have any viewpoints on that? On one, how to help companies better select CIOs and CISOs in the right roles, and also to help people who are like going, I'm not in the right roles for me. How do I kind of spin out? And then how do I actually get to the heart and core of who I am as an individual and get to a better position for myself? I always caution CIOs and CISOs that you know, so for the CIO, you're looking at technical debt, you're looking at transformation and innovation strategies, and then you've got to run business as usual, right? So that's typically a big part of the CIO job is these three different hats you have to wear. And part of that for business continuity is resiliency, reliability, recoverability. And the CISO organization also has responsibility for recoverability, resiliency, and reliability as well. And I always say, when you look at those three R's and you talk about resiliency, it actually starts with you as the leader. You are no good to anybody else and you're going to be no good to the playbooks if you're not resilient yourself. And you can't be resilient if you use up everything you have. There's nothing left to give. So that's where holding yourself accountable to some type of a system, just like you hold, if you have to deliver on a compliance framework, or you have to deliver on a certification, right? You're holding yourself, you're benchmarking yourself, you're holding yourself accountable and giving the systems and the processes and the outcomes, a scorecard, you have to start here. You know, it's like when you get on the airlines, right? I've got three kids and I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe they tell you if you're traveling with small children, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before helping others. But then when you really think about it, if you pass out, you're no good to your kids and they won't know what to do. So you have to make sure that resiliency plans start with yourself. And that's healthy sets of patterns and guidelines. Now, I also think that we need to reimagine the CIO and the CISO roles. We're asking people to do superhuman efforts that are just impossible. And so I really think it's right for transformative thinking. So for example, what if there were co-CISO roles or there were shift CISO roles? What if there were ways to, a lot of organizations don't want to have a top heavy management structure, but maybe that does apply here within CISO and CIO organizations, given the fact that Everyone is now a technology company. You just happen to do something else for your revenue model. And everyone is a cybersecurity company because if you're not, you're going to get hacked and not be resilient and recoverable. And so because of that, how do we think about these teams 
being more of a 24 by seven operation, not just the tools, not just the technology, but actually the people themselves. And we haven't really addressed it that way. Maybe you have a security operations center where you've got shift work, but you don't really have shift work for the leadership team. So we've got to reimagine and transform our thinking there. Those are really great points. And tying back into a point you had earlier, and you talked about prioritization quite a bit. I know that's one thing we do get hit. When you're trying to run global, you're going 24-7, you're getting hit right and left. How do you go about when you get inundated with so many requests? How do you go about trying to figure out what's your first first, as I like to call them? What do you do to try and figure that out? Yeah, it's one of the things I love to water ski. I don't get to do it nearly enough. And I remember when I was first learning to water ski, it was actually my business partner took us out on his boat, business partner in banking. So my team supported all of um, the problem, commercial, small business, middle market lending, all of the officers, the loan officers and the customer relationships. So we supported all of their technology platforms. It was a very stressful job. And if you get something wrong with those platforms, it's really not good for the bank. So our business partner who we supported, he took us out on his boat. And I remember him teaching me how to water ski. And one of the first things he said to me was, you always need to have slack because you never know when you're going to hit a wake. And if your arms are straight out, when you hit that wake, you're going to take a spill. And so he would be yelling at me from the boat, make sure you keep slack, make sure you keep the slack. And that's the same with the workplace. You have to build in open spaces on your work calendar. And that allows you to, when that thing happens and it comes in and you need to deal with it, that allows you to have that time, to have that slack, to be able to react. I can tell you, it seems like the days that I don't practice that and I've got everything in 15 and 30 minute increments, that's the day something happens and it's just like unrecoverable. There's something that just becomes urgent on fire and I had no slack to make room for it. And it can be done. You just have to plan it. I'll give you another example. We decided in the dog days of summer, we knew to plan for the unplanned. We weren't sure what was going to happen with incident response, with ransomware events, et cetera. And we already had a pretty strenuous level workload of work. So I made the decision that unless a client had an ongoing incident, that every Friday for nine Fridays in a row, July and August, that our employees would be off. There would be no formal meetings and that Fridays were a day to renew and recharge in case the next Friday you were on an incident response team. We then moved into, we made a commitment to the employees that September and October, Fridays are called fun Fridays. There are no internal meetings on Fridays unless it's something fun that you want to work on, like a R&D project or a passion project. If you have to have a meeting with a client because it's incident response, you have to do that. But if it's not an incident response and it's a regular meeting, get it done between Monday through Thursday, giving people back desk time to give them slack. And so we're trying to find creative ways to reimagine the work week and give people that flexibility. Just saying, get your work done and not giving people guardrails is really too hard on people. And so we thought 
isn't it nice to know you have a desk day to finish your work, to do great work for the clients, to do great work by your teammates, and to know and look forward to that Friday to like putting a nice bow on things, unless of course there's an incident response. So there's different ways you can do it. Not what's working for my company may not work for everybody else, but those are some examples of how we're trying to make a difference. What do you recommend people do that when you do get that incident? Not everybody has really major incidents. And the first thing you do is you tense up and your team tenses. You don't hold it, have that free thought. What do you guys do and what do you recommend that when people have those situations come and you want to tense up as a human, how do you work through those first 30 seconds, three minutes, five minutes to really go ahead and be able to tackle those more mindfully? Yeah, no, it's a great point. I, one of the things you can do is practice, rehearse having to deal with an incident, rehearse having to deal with you know, bad news or a system outage. And just even if it's just a light framework of a playbook of, oh gosh, I hope this never happens. But if it does, let's just practice that we can't access Slack all day today. What would we do instead? Or let's just practice Zoom is down. These are all kind of things that can happen that are just productivity busters. And then there's things that can be a lot worse. I observed when Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp were out for about six to six and a half hours, I observed a lot of people saying, for people that we communicate with in Europe, we don't have any other way to get a hold of them. There were also some small to mid-sized businesses. They don't have websites. They have Facebook and Instagram is how they actually sell retail products and do customer service with their clients. So be asking yourself now, can I practice having to respond to some type of an incident that would make my day really challenging? And by practicing, you're going to get that muscle memory so that when you hit any type of an incident, even if it's one you didn't practice, you'll have your own framework of take a deep breath in. Okay. Don't forget to exhale and breathe back in again. Okay. Now what do we have as a playbook or what can we do? You're right, Rebecca. It's our world is so fast paced at work and at home, our home lives. There's a lot going on. We're being bombarded with a lot. And in some cases, some people are still working from home. And so there, that separation isn't there like it used to be. And so maybe you like not having the commute, but then again, there's work always calling you even on Sunday. So finding those ways to practice that incident, having a response. Also think about If you know you have emotional triggers to things, have somebody you know and trust that's a colleague and maybe you have a certain code with them. And so if they see maybe you're putting yourself into a danger zone in your response, maybe it's a simple word. Maybe they scratch their nose when you're getting a certain way and only the two of you know what that is. And that may be just enough to help you step back away from the ledge. What do you look at when you're trying to prioritize budgets and you're trying to get more budgets? A lot of times it's hard for us making that business case to grab that. We have a hard time tying that together. And through your years, you've learned how to do that really well. What's some words of wisdom you can give our audience on how to make the business case and what we need in technology? Sure. I think, I hope that most people listening to this, Rebecca, the fact that they're just even listening tells me that they probably know this already. 
playing the we have to do it otherwise compliance and regulatory or we have to do it because fear uncertainty and doubt that doesn't work as well with the business unit so you'll get the bare minimum if that is your only strategy those are certainly both important but what i tell cso's that you need to really do is understand what business problem is your organization trying to solve what are the human stories how do humans the customers interact with the technology and to interact with your company how do your employees interact with technology to get their job done and once you understand the user stories then have a conversation with the executives who make the decisions on budgets and priorities and say here are the user stories and here's where we need to inject more security to secure the human in the foreground in the background and show how you weave the security into the user story. You're going to have a much better time helping sell the business case if you relate it into the business story. If you start talking firewalls and multi-factor authentication absent of those user stories, you're going to lose the business executives. The other piece you can do, it is hard to show return on investment. But one of the things you can do is if you are doing incident response playbooks you can say look based on where our maturity is today if this incident were to happen my back of the napkin calculation is this is what the expenses would look like to the organization okay now if i were to have this playbook but implement either more staff or certain technology solutions i believe i could reduce the expense that would be created by this incident by this amount so you can actually crosswalk your executives with you playbook by playbook to show them how the investment makes a difference candidly you can show yourself sometimes i have cso's they're so bought into i got to have this product and this solution and i've got to have one pane of glass and i got to have all these and then you add it all up and they're like people just don't care i don't know why and then you sit down and you say okay here's your playbook how much do you think it would cost without it okay so you want to spend a gazillion dollars how much more money are you going to save not much i don't know about you but if it was your checkbook is that would that be a winning business case for you so part of it is, is it gets you bought in into what you're asking for as well and that can be a great way to get closer to some type of a return on investment for your executives that those are great points I talk quite a bit about the return on the efficiency and the return on the investment. That's really what they want, even though that's not what they're saying. And then tying it into the enterprise risk management. You know, I'd be amiss though if I did not talk about women in security, women in CIOs, CTOs, and top positions. And we're still not quite getting there. And I know that you do a lot of in STEM and things along those lines. What's your viewpoint on what's going on and, and women trying to make a headway on getting some of these top positions and having our voices heard? Sure. For starters, we still continue to have an ongoing brand problem. I'll ask people, if somebody says cybercrime, what's the first image people typically think of? And it's usually a man in a hoodie it's probably bluish green with ones and zeros and i understand that's but it's one of those things where it's hard for from a diversity and inclusion standpoint for underrepresented groups including females to really say i see myself there and although i've got you know 
half of my closet is hoodies. Who doesn't love a great hoodie? The idea of somebody alone in the dark and it's gloomy and doomy looking is just unappealing. I would say the other thing too is diversity and inclusion isn't just who you hire to be your employees. It's also who do you hire as your consultants and your services providers. And so there continues to be a real challenge where there's a a bias towards the big names or a bias towards only certain types of organizations. And I get a little disheartened when I see the leadership teams on the websites and it's rare to see a truly DNI looking leadership team. And it's not just looks, it's backgrounds. Where did they go to school? Did they skip college because they did something else instead and went straight into the workforce? And so to me, diversity and inclusion, there's gender, but there's also your walk of life. There's your cultural background, your ethnicity. It all makes up for a very rich tapestry. And if we're going to solve the cyber criminal problem and the rising tide of cybercrime, it's going to take new and innovative and creative thinking, which means it's going to take a very rich tapestry of all walks of life, including gender inclusion. So I highly encourage women to seek out both male and female mentors, but I also say don't give up. So if you find culturally things are not rewarding and satisfying for you, reach out to other colleagues in the industry and make sure you align your passions and you're working at the right culture for you. Don't give up on the career in STEM just because you didn't find the right place. Just keep searching and keep networking and reaching out. You will eventually find your calling and your passion in the right place for you where you can thrive. Teresa, as we start to wrap up here, how do people get a hold of you and your company if they want your services or you personally, if they'd like to go ahead and engage you in speaking engagements? What's the best way to do you know, both of those? Sure. Thank you for that, Rebecca. We have company accounts on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. We have a group. It's for both men and women, a safe space to promote more women in STEM on LinkedIn called Help a Sister Up that you can join. And we tell people... We've seen all kinds of amazing organic things happen there. We've seen people become mentors, become mentees, get jobs, post jobs, share research and information. That can be a very organic, authentic place. We don't overly manage it. We allow people to join the group and then we let the group have its own life there. If you want to reach out to the company, watchmas.com on Twitter, I'm Tracker Payton. That's probably the place I'm the most active as far as social media goes, certainly I'll accept your invite on LinkedIn, but I'm not always Johnny on the spot on LinkedIn every day. If you want to book a Fortalist employee as a speaker, you can email Watchman at Fortalist Solutions. If you want to book me, I'm booked through Kepler Speakers Bureau and you can call them or email them and they'll, they manage my calendar and make sure I go from point A to point B on time. Teresa, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You are a soulful CXO. Rebecca, back at you and keep up the great work. You do so much to give back to the community and the greater good. So I'm really proud of you. I'm proud to know you, Rebecca. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.